So Romans chapter 8, we're going to continue our study, and verse 18 is where we're going to start today. And this is a verse, a passage that is bursting with hope. Listen to this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Uh, Paul, church planter, evangelist, uh, apostle, uh, pastor, uh, this is a guy who was itinerant and always on the move and, and, and bringing believers, uh, bringing people to faith, ultimately building them in their faith, writing, traveling, all of these kinds of things. And along the way, if you are familiar with the book of Acts and, of course, even Paul's own references throughout his writings, you know this is somebody who experienced tremendous uh, suffering. As a matter of fact, he would tell Timothy this and commend Timothy for the example that he was already setting uh, in following Paul's example and enduring hardships, um, he points out that all those who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecutions. Uh, persecution, And so the suffering that Paul is referring to includes things like scourging and shipwreck and rejection from, uh, from fellow believers and such, um, or people turning on him. Not only that, but he also is followed around uh, by the Judaizers, those who are seeking to put people under the law of Moses before they could ultimately come uh, to faith in Christ and that kind of thing. And everywhere he went, they would follow him, and he would be disputing with them and all these kinds of things. Not only that, but demonic activity that he faced and this kind of thing. Uh, including, by the way, his own reference in his writings of the Corinthians, the idea of the buffeting from a messenger of Satan that he endured. Uh, this is a guy who understood the concept of sufferings. This is somebody who very much took to heart what Jesus uh, had said. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have that which unsettles you, uh, seeks to break you, that which comes down and pressures you, and that kind of thing. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And it is that perspective there on the latter portion of what Jesus had to say about these things uh, that gives us the sense and understanding that this is only for a time. Uh, and there's there's a shelf life to our sufferings in that, which in itself implies that there is hope beyond that. And so this one passage that Paul talks about here in Romans chapter 8, again, I'll read it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Uh, there's no comparing what, uh, what, what the sufferings that we're enduring now with what is yet to come. In other words, when that comes... We're going to look back on this and, and not only think that it was a light thing, but it was worth it. We'll see it in its context and perspective. Um, and I say a light thing because that's how Paul referred to his sufferings. These light afflictions are working out a far more great, exceedingly great uh, uh, um, um, you know, uh, weight of glory and such. And so uh, this, is, this is Paul's perspective, and he shares it with the believers and says, look, you can have this and ought to sort of see things this way too. He says, the uh, glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, what is that glory? Of course, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58, we, we talk about this passage a lot, but it has to do with our glorified bodies, that one day we'll put off this earthly tent and we'll put on that glorious new uh, body that is being uh, fashioned for us and that will uh, ultimately uh, make us fit for heaven and eternity and such. So there's that glory. Uh, there is, of course, the fact that we will not deal with the sin nature anymore that Paul has been speaking about earlier in these passages. Um, in Revelation 21, we see a new heavens and a new earth, and 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 our uh, the rest of the book begins to speak more about what this is all about and what this will look like. So I encourage you to read that uh, those chapters in their entirety. 
and see what is, um, you know, predominantly chapter 21, but chapter 22 is filled with hope, the idea of looking forward to this. This is coming, yes and amen. Uh, there is so much that we have yet to look forward to. You know, there's, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, we see... Um, in uh, uh, in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, it's often quoted, and and frankly, sometimes we look at this passage uh, uh, and, and apply it to ourselves in a way that sometimes can be seen as a little bit out of context. But the principle that underlies the passage itself is something that can be understood as speaking to believers of all ages. The idea that there is yet a future and a hope. Okay, the idea that, um, you know, the plans that God has for us. Now, in that context, he's talking to Israel, there's sufferings involved in going through those sufferings, and God is working out those things. But similarly, in the New Testament, this principle that underlies it is found in the New Testament. Again, where Paul talks about these these uh, light afflictions are working out a greater, more exceeding weight of glory in that. And so there is, and of course, as we see in the New Testament, the culmination of that great hope with the new heavens and a new earth, glorified bodies and all of these things. And so there is, there is something within the heart of God that is finding expression uh, uh, in this passage here back in Romans uh, 8.18 that is intended uh, to bring us tremendous hope and expectation and, and confidence and courage to make our way through the sufferings that we experience in this life because there, there's a far greater uh, thing that yet lies ahead that will put these things in perspective and allow us to see them for what they were. And not only sufferings um, in terms of God refining us through those things, but also our sufferings oftentimes become a testimony to those outside as well. So there's so much there uh, that, that gives us food for thought, understanding that there is nothing wasted in our lives. Again, Romans 8 verses 28 through 39 starts with the idea that we know, okay, not just starting with what comes after and not just what we think or we hope, but we know, we have knowledge of this fact that all things work together for good for those who love God and are, are the called according to his purpose. And so, um, and so again, there's a far uh, greater glory that, that will make these sufferings not even worthy to be compared with this. Paul would also say to the Corinthians that eye has not seen nor ear heard what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. And it's interesting, when he quotes the passages out of Isaiah, he actually seems to be borrowing from two different passages, one that speaks of the immediate and one that speaks of the future. And so there's uh, just this wonderful, again, rich sense of context in the life of a believer where we're living now, but in the expectation of the not yet. Uh, again, Tony uh, Evans always referred to that as the eschatological dialectic, the idea that we're living between the now and the not yet. We're living with our feet on the ground, going through the things that God ordains that we go through, but it's always in the expectation of what is yet to come. And so that puts it in perspective. And not only that, but notice he says here, this glory that shall be revealed in us. Okay, and it goes on. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope. That's an interesting passage, and, uh, and, and my sense is that that would be referring us really back to the very beginning, in, uh, in the garden even, when the fall first took place. Uh, Adam, of course, uh, uh, Eve is deceived. Adam goes in disobedience and following uh, uh, in taking of the fruit in that, disobeying what he clearly knew God had said. 
Uh, of course, she was in disobedience too, but she was deceived directly by the serpent. But Adam goes in disobedience as well. And, and we see that uh, God speaks of a couple of very important key elements that I think help us understand what Paul is talking about here in Romans. So let me go ahead and invite you to look at Genesis chapter 3 uh, in verses 17 through 24. I'm going to read the passage. And then to Adam, God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed be the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it in all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so, In the fall, it was not just that man became separated from God in his sin and rebellion, but also there is a curse upon the earth itself. Whereas the ground produced fruit and a mist came up over it and watered the ground and it was this absolute paradise in Eden. Uh, Now the ground was cursed. Now the earth was cursed. And so from this point on, there is, of course, the story of redemption. Of course, in chapter, uh, in the same chapter, in verses uh, fifteen and sixteen, fifteen in particular, we see the 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 the, the first inkling of the coming Messiah, the one who uh, Satan will strike at his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head, the seed of the woman who will come, and so that's important to know because what follows the calling out of the curse on the ground, look what else goes on. In verse twenty, it goes on to say that Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And also for Adam, uh, also for Adam had known uh, knew his wife, and the Lord God made. Uh, I'm sorry, and Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin, and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out of his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So." He drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword with uh, sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve are cast out. The ground is now cursed. They're separated. The curse is upon them as well. There is redemption not only for man, but there will also one day be redemption for the earth as well. Uh, again, a new heavens and a new earth, as we see on the other end of the scripture in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Um, and so here in the garden, we see that man is cast out and the earth is cursed. Well, back in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, we can see here that Paul is referencing this idea when he talks about how even the earth itself is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, for the fullness of the redemption to be realized as man is glorified and the curse is lifted from the earth and there's a new heavens and a new earth. And so there is so much to the redemption. I mean, literally, all things are made new, again, as we see in Revelation 21, uh, uh, as, as, as the Lord, uh, as, as God looks at what he is doing, and he says, behold, I make all things new. Fascinating that Paul uses this same kind of language in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 17, when he says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And so what happens on a local level in man personally also takes place on a universal scale. The earth and even the heavens ultimately are recreated um, similarly to the way that man himself is recreated. It's a, it's a fascinating and fulfilling and, 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 and pervasive redemption. And uh, it, is, it is God's way of wrapping things up and bringing things full circle.
And so again, uh, for the creation was subjected in futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Uh, that last thought in Genesis there, that no sooner had God brought the, man, the curse upon man and the earth, that also then followed the promise of redemption. Again, if you remember the passage we just read in Genesis, God curses, uh, you know, man and women experience the curse, the ground itself, the earth experiences the curse. And then the next thing God does is he lets them know that their attempts to make things right will not do. And he goes and he gets the skin, skins of animals and covers them with it. We see now this uh, next additional unfolding of the picture of redemption uh, through the shed blood, uh, as this model is now beginning to be set forth. Uh, repeated again in, uh, what is it, Leviticus seventeen eleven. without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. We see this again in the book of Hebrews. We see it personified in the person of Christ, who, as John the Baptist goes on to say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That redemption that comes in Christ is both for man, but even for the creation. It is a full and pervasive, complete redemption. Uh, and so Paul here is speaking about the glories that are yet to come as a result of this redemption. Again, verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of men, uh, of the children of God, I should say, not children of men, but the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. You know, it's interesting, when we think of this concept of birth pangs, what do we think of? We think of Matthew 24, where Jesus talks about the uh, events that begin to take place in the last days, and he likens it to birth pangs. And when we think of that, generally, we sort of stop with the idea that, oh, this is birth pangs, the end is coming, the judgment, the kingdom of God is coming and everything. It's not just that Jesus will establish his kingdom and, and, and the enemies will be put down and all this kind of thing. But even the earth itself is groaning. It's like the earth is continually, even in Paul's day, is experiencing birth pangs. The day is coming when ultimately it too will produce uh, a new creation and that kind of thing, or a new creation will be produced in it by the Lord's hand. And so, um, again, just the, 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 the far larger scope of what redemption really speaks of is in view. For we know, again, verse 22, the whole creation groans and, and labors with birth pangs until now. The whole creation, not just the earth, but even the heavens. And not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what does not st- uh, one, why does one still hope for what one sees? And we'll, st- we'll kind of cut there. We'll actually come back to verse 24 and take the next section as its own thing. But even we ourselves are eagerly awaiting the fullness of the adoption and redemption. We have been adopted into the family of God by faith, but yet there is this there's this end game in view as well. It's not just that we are brought into the family of God, but there is a fullness yet to be realized in this. Guys, this is something to be really excited about. This is one of those things that believers should be hanging on the edge of their seats for. Paul here says, we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, right? Our physical body, not a redemption of our soul, redemption of our body. Again, Jesus conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin and death, which means that we too will receive glorified bodies because because he lives, we shall also live. Uh, Christ himself, the first recipient of a glorified body, the first one to manifest in a glorified body, 
uh, after the resurrection, we too are going to have a similar kind of body in the resurrection as well. This is the victory that is pervasive because of Christ's victory at the cross. Sin and death are put down. The last enemy that is defeated is death, right? Well, that's not just a theoretical sort of spiritual thing. It is a physical thing too. And so the, the redemption reaches from not only ourselves physically, the redemption of the body, but even the creation itself, a new heavens and a new earth. Um, this is a passage that sometimes, like many, we sort of just read through it and think, oh, that's cool, wow, awesome, and then we move on. But allow your mind to dwell on the grandness of what is being spoken of here. Um, you know, we are going to be completely physically different than what we are now. This, these bodies of flesh that ache and, and, and get cut and we break bones when we fall off of things and we, um, and we have the sin nature within us that even though we want to do the right things, yet nonetheless we sometimes succumb to uh, the, the, the more you know, base instincts where we, 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 we're in the flesh and that kind of thing. One day that'll be gone. We'll be holy and totally new, not just positionally, which we already are, but practically, which one day we shall be. And not only that, but a a new creation with that as well. Complete and total victory resulting in a complete and total makeover. Fantastic. Glorious in every sense of the term. And so this passage here is just explosive in what it is talking about. It is, you know, we, we sometimes, I think rightfully, we consider what the creation moment might have been like. When all of a sudden, you know, we, we see God just go to work and this beauty, and, and even in its fallen condition, we can see the beauty and creativity involved in this. We think, gosh, the, and I'm one of these nerds that likes to get into things like, you know, the universe and, you know, galaxies and astronomy and those kinds of things. You know, you think of the vastness of the universe. It is just beyond scope. There's, there's, videos that try to sort of put together what the universe is, but really that's just the known universe. Uh, Right now, the universe is expanding from what they can tell at faster than light speed, which means there's a point if, if God just held off for, you know, just some indefinite period of time before he wrapped up human history, and eventually the galaxies that we now see will move away from us at such a speed that one day they will not be seeable anymore. I mean, that's a mind-blowing concept. Uh, the, the visible universe, uh, even with the James Webb Space Telescope today, we can see clearer pictures of, of farther and farther and farther out. Well, one day, those things will, I mean, again, should the Lord tarry, uh, you know, sometime down the road, the expansion of the universe will be such where some of those things won't be seen anymore. It's just, it's mind-blowing to think about the scope and the grandness, the incredible nature of the creation God's just going to just bring it to an end and put a whole new heavens and earth. He'll just do it. It's done, you know? Wow. It is, it is just, it's beyond, uh, it's beyond our real understanding. And I think there, there ought to be given space, pun intended, uh, in our, our thinking to just consider that. You know, when David said, you know, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, and the stars and all of this, who am I that you would think of me, you'd be mindful of me? Like what, what little, tiny, seemingly insignificant speck of dust am I compared to the vastness? And David didn't even have a Hubble telescope or anything like that. David had, 
you know, I mean, presumably no real concept of just how enormous the universe was. But even what he could see blew his mind. And he thought, who am I that you'd even think about me? But he does. He does. And he will recreate the universe, the heavens and the earth. And we'll be recipients of this, enjoyers of this, um, witnesses to this, worshipers in response to this. Um, It's one of these places that Again, whereas normally we might just sort of read through the passage and think, oh, that's cool, new heavens and new earth. But this is one of those passages which is almost akin to like David's writing of, you know, uh, Psalm 19 and Psalm 8 and things like this, you know, um, that are intended to almost evoke, not almost, but genuinely to evoke a response of praise and worship. Uh, awe and wonder at what God does and what he can do and what he will do. Um, This is the kind of thing that brings forth worship. I did for David, again, in Psalm 8, as he talked about, again, I look at your heavens. Wow, we just responded to God in just the view of this. Um, Romans 1, we were there a long, long time ago. Romans 1, you know, the visible, the invisible attributes of God are made known through the creation. In other words, we see the hand of God, the fingerprint of God all over all these things. His intention is for us to be wowed by his creation and to turn to him, look to him, and worship him. Well, one day we'll see this entire new heavens and new earth. We'll be, we'll be fully redeemed in our glorified bodies and such, uh, receiving the fullness of the redemption and adoption. Just... Let your mind respond to that. Think about the God who has planned these things out and will one day bring them to fruition and worship. Just worship. Father, we do thank you. We bless you and we praise you. As we consider the grandness of your plans and purposes reaching their ultimate culmination, ultimate culmination, when finally there is the full adoption and redemption, everything is now fully realized and experienced and embraced uh, in your purposes and plans, both for man, but even in terms of your creation. Father, help us to be truly in wonder like David was as we consider the work of your fingers, even in what we can see now. And passages like this or in Revelation uh, 21 uh, or, you know, um, or any other passage, really, when we think about um, just the, 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 the bringing to the finale of everything that you're going to do that you've made known. Father, we um, just pray that our hearts would not be clinical about these things, would not simply just read the passage and move on and underline a couple of words and stuff and then just sort of feel like we understand it and that's good enough. But Lord, let this prod us uh, to respond, to think truly about what is being said here and what this means and what this will you know, we, we don't know what that will look like in new heavens and a new earth. I mean, it's it's staggering to the imagination to imagine something so glorious taking place in an instant. But we know, Lord, your your word tells us this is what's coming. This is the great future and hope that believers have. And so, Lord, we thank you for the purposes and plans that you have worked out in all of your grand uh, scope of things. And we worship you and we bless you Clearly, you do excellently beyond anything we could ever imagine asking or thinking. Uh, So, Father, thank you, bless you, glorify you, exalt your awesome and great name, and um, continue to draw us to that place where our response of what we learn and gain in knowledge and wisdom ultimately finds itself spilling over in worship. 
Thank you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.